Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making the TeacherCast Educational Network your home for professional development. Today, we're going to be talking all about Google Docs, and we're going to be learning today what we can do to create meaningful communication with them. Of course, there's several great ways that you can reach out and be a part of this and all of our shows. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us at feedback at TeacherCast.net. And of course, don't forget, we are live here every single Wednesday night at 8.30 Eastern Time on TeacherCast.tv. We have a large panel today. I want to welcome Mr. Sam Patterson, Dr. Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. I've seen some interesting things happening in your makerspace. Did I see a dancing um, strawberry case? What, what, What was going on in your classroom this week? There have been a lot of things going on in my classroom this week, but most exciting, what you're referring to, was a uh, strawberry basket, which had been used as, it's a uh, kind of a bunny rabbit-ish mm-hmm. marionette now. Um, it was just a very simple marionette that we made after the kindergarten went to the Bob Baker Marionette Theater, and today was World Puppetry Day, so we can hashtag that out now, check done and done. But we made very simple puppets with the kindergartners, and it was really fun. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, I know you've got a very active Instagram account. People can figure out where you're going for puppet making and what kind of things you're buying to put in those puppets. What is your Instagram, Sam? My Instagram is my paperless classroom. Excellent. It's a great account to follow. And speaking of following, Josh, how are you today? Josh is doing just fine. Jeff, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, We had another snow day. Did you have a snow day today? No, we have very little snow left. Uh, We haven't had snow in a few weeks. um, And it hasn't been super warm. Like today, it was only 35 maybe. But the sun was out. The wind was low. Got to enjoy a nice little seven-mile run after school today. So life is good. Nice. Today, we're going to be talking all about Google Docs. I assume that you work with your teachers on Google Docs, right? Uh, yes, that is uh, without a doubt the fact. I'm looking forward to hearing some of these things. I, I know myself, I've been doing a Google training all week with my teachers. Looking forward to comparing some notes. Moving to Massachusetts, Jennifer Judkins, how are you today? Good. Wondering how much snow we're going to get. Uh, we, it's been snowing here since uh, about nine o'clock or so, and I'm told it's going to continue snowing till about four tomorrow morning. Look at us. We are the tech educator weather people. Um, how are things up north there? Good. No, things are good. Wanted to get in a whole week. So we'll see if that happens or not. <laughs> Getting in a whole week. I completely understand with that. Um, now, I know over at Teaching Forward, you've got a lot of things um, Google Doc related. I bet you've got a pretty cool Google Docs cheat sheet or something in there to, uh, to share with us today. I have a great resource I can share out that is focused on this topic about providing feedback to students to help improve their writing with Google Docs. There's just a lot of different ways I think we can um, share with the folks that are listening today um, as to how they can really leverage the the built-in tools and then some some other things that can be used in conjunction with Google Docs to, to allow them to give feedback for students. Looking forward to hearing about that. A great place to find stuff. Check on over at teachingforward.net. I want to bring on Jennifer Giffen, the Giffmeister, the Giffinator, the Gifferama. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. I understand you have a new adventure 
Um, top so, secret, but it's not. You can you can share it. It's it's hot off the presses, we'll say, and not even fully off. Tell us about it. Um, so Kim Polishuk and I, who you can find on Twitter at Kim Polishuk, uh, we work together in our district up here in York region in Canada. And we, for a long time, have been talking about starting our own podcast. And thanks to the advances of the Anchor podcast that makes it really easy to podcast with, she and I recorded our first episode today. And we're just waiting for the links to for Google Play and Spotify and iTunes and all those good things to launch our new 20-minute Shooks and GIF podcast, which is coming soon to a podcatcher near you that is awesome news yeah. congratulations um lots of great stuff josh uh, let's just go back around the horn you're started a, a podcast recently what's what's your show called one more time stories in edu excellent and sam you've got a show that's uh, that was recently relaunched hour of code and where can you find that information at beyondthehourofcode.com. Hey, I heard that's multi-continent now. You can find that in many continents. Is that true? Are there other continents that like to watch this? Yes, definitely. We are intercontinental. Just like the championship belt? Just like the Beastie Boys. So we're going to be talking today all about communication, ways that teachers can create lessons where students can do it, teachers can get feedback, all those different things. Um, Jen, talk to us a little bit about why is this a, a needed topic and why is this a needed conversation to have here? One of the conversations I seem to have with teachers is around um the, just making the shift to grading student work and providing feedback when the work is no longer on paper. So I think the initial feeling on teachers is, well, gee, I've, I've been successful grading on paper for many years. Why would I do it this way? You're just wanting me to save paper. And so, so I just think it's really important to help teachers understand that, you know, really it has nothing to do from my personal perspective about saving another tree, but instead to help them see that there are, there are ways in which they can provide feedback that are much more robust and provide, um, you know, really useful information to help inform students so that they can, um, you know, address some of the maybe common mistakes that they're making or serve as a record that lasts over the course of their writing. And, and when I think about all the time that teachers spend in giving quality feedback, um, you know, the, to know that that feedback is stored permanently in a digital sense and not accidentally lost if a student drops a piece of paper, I think is really important and also helps to you know, inform teachers and students when they sit down together for writing conferences. And in so many ways, it is a great example of why technology is really adding functionality that is not possible without the presence of that technology. So I think there are lots of examples for that that we can share today. Sam, what do you think about all this? I know you deal with a lot of conversations with your kids. I, you do use Google Docs. You, you, you kind of don't. You're in Makerspace. How do you provide feedback to your kids? I provide a lot of feedback, mainly with stern warnings and wagging fingers. No. Um, <clears throat> a lot of my feedback is captured in Google Docs because I ask my students to do their work into Google sheets like or google sheets sometimes google slides sometimes there's great ways to organize all of this you know multimodal multimedia information i want to i want to take a step back for a second and touch again on the whole paperless thing because 
the elephant in the room is I run a blog called My Paperless Classroom, right? And the paperless thing isn't about saving the trees. I mean, I hear you, Lorax, right? Speak for the trees. Go for it. I'm with you. But at the same time, paperless is really about, you know, success and survival. Part of it is your back, people. Each piece of paper weighs 4.5 grams, right? Okay, so you have 26, 36 kids in your class. Each of them gives you a four-page assignment. You're getting up over a kilogram of paper pretty quickly, and that weight adds up. You want to tote that around with you all of the time. The psychological weight of that tote bag full of papers, oh, it was, and then I would leave it behind. It was such a mess. So really, I went, I started looking at paperless because I wanted to ride my bike more and I wanted to never lose student work. And I also never wanted student work to get run over by a car. And that happened once when one of my bike bags dumped. So Google Docs is a great place for that because Google Docs can hold pictures easily. It can hold videos easily. We can have a conversation that happens on the side in comments. Um, it's a very rich kind of field for communication. Now, I want to bring on another guest today. And for those of you that are out there watching, you'll notice I'm trying a lot of stuff here on our audio. I want to bring on um, teacher, friend, author, Mr. John Sowash. John, how are you today? Tarla's uh, putting the last child to sleep. Nice. Uh, John, I'm glad that you're here. You are, of course, the author of the fantastic uh, book, uh, The Chromebook Classroom. And today we're, of course, talking about using those Chromebooks, using Google Docs to communicate with each other. Um, tell us a little bit about some of the research that you found. What are some of the ways that teachers right now are using Google Docs to communicate with their students? Sure. Well, um, Chromebooks are my specialty, and, uh, and there's not really anything special that you need to do to use a Google Docs on a Chromebook. The only thing you just have to realize is that it's your only option. I guess one of the things that sometimes teachers um, stumble into is, you know, you, you can't easily share a Word document um, to a student who's on a Chromebook. The teacher isn't on a Chromebook, so they have access to other things, but the uh, the students do not. Um, so, I mean, it's it's... Same for all classrooms, whether you got iPads, PC, Mac, um, Chromebook works works just well, uh, just as well. And honestly, um, that's one of the best things about Google Drive platform is the agnostic relationship that it has to the platform. I mean, if you're in a BYOD environment, Google Docs, Google Drive is the best option because it will work um, regardless of what device uh, your students are using. So let's get into some of the ways here that we can be communicating with each other. We know that in Google Docs, up on the top right, it says editing. Um, but if you click on that, I find many teachers, A, have never clicked on that, and B, they don't know that this whole world of suggesting exists. Um, Jen, can you tell us a little bit about the differences between editing mode and suggesting mode? Sure. I think um, for those folks that uh, remember with Word, uh, the feature track changes. I think for a lot of people that might um, be a, a reminder of what this looks like. And just the idea is that you can essentially appear to be editing the document, but the edits that you make are in fact suggestions, which can either be accepted and incorporated into the document or rejected. 
And these edits appear in a different color font, so they stand out. And they also appear um, as comments. So they're actually logged in the history of the document as a comment. Um, so I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. So for some teachers, they, they like it because students have difficulty visually tracking the feedback that might appear on the right-hand side if it were just a comment. Um, they, they like to actually type messages to students about, you know, the part that they're reading right in there as a suggesting mode um, feedback so that students aren't trying to read from the, the right-hand side to the comment and then over to the, you know, to reference the, the um, specific part of the writing. Um, and in that case, for example, that's, that's functioning as feedback and the teachers would instruct students to read the feedback, make the change, and then actually reject the, the suggestion because we don't actually want to in that case, we don't want to change the student writing. We're just giving feedback to the student in the body of the document. It's just a, a different way to provide feedback. Now, are there reasons to use the editing versus suggesting? I know the other day when I was working with a teacher on this topic, I said, you know, if you're working with a colleague on a shared lesson plan or on a student handbook or something, I tend to teach use the suggesting mode. That way you can track other things. I also find that when I, as a teacher, am working with a student and I make suggestions, the kids just go check, 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 and then they return it in. Now, Giffen, you're kind of shaking your head at this. Have you had situations where, as a teacher, you've seen, you know, change this, change this, change this, and the kid's gone, okay, I've changed it, now give me an A. I, yeah, that, was, that wasn't a Canadian reference, by the way. That was a <laughs> yeah, great. Right. Because in the Canadian, we would say, can you give me an AA? <laughs> um... Yeah. So I, I, I've definitely seen that just like, okay, th there's no thought given. So I, I think when we really talk about putting the horse before the cart, we need to remember the technology needs to come after the pedagogy. Right. And the idea is we really need to teach students how to read feedback effectively and giving them the tool and just having comments in and saying, okay, check these over and read them. You, you can't just start with that. That's not your starting point. Your starting point absolutely has to be, here's what feedback means and here's why I do it. So one of the things that I've loved to do in a classroom, and I, I actually go back to paper in this case, is I put all the comments in and then say, based on this, here's a rubric, what do you think you would score on this based on the comments you've seen? And if they're within 5%, then okay, great, we don't need to have a conversation. But if they're not, then conversation needs to be had because what I actually find is the students are far harder on themselves than they need to be. They don't have the confidence. Um, in their work a lot of time. And this comes from me from a, a secondary English perspective. But um, I find unless we're teaching them how to read feedback well, it doesn't, it doesn't go over well. So I'm going to sort of take us on a little bit of a tangent. But one of the things that I love to do is to leave feedback um, through audio feedback instead, because I find a lot of our students are listeners. So I use like Kaizena or Kaizena. Um, and sometimes more often I use Google Read and Write because we have it uh, free in our in our district for all students and I just leave the voice note option it's up to a minute and I can just leave them feedback that way and the students have said they've gone back and, and listened to that again because it's there um, and they really like that because they can read the intonation so sometimes they'll read comments and think oh she's really angry she thinks that they don't read the sarcasm necessarily that you might leave or they may not the 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 nuances that you have in your writing that we understand as an adult, they don't understand when their brains are still developing as young learners. So I think things like that too, as far as leaving comments is, is very important. 
Josh, what do you think? As you're going through and working with your teachers in the younger grades, um, what advice do you give your teachers when they're working and providing that feedback? Uh, we've looked at a couple different things for that. Um, we've we've actually struggled quite a bit with with getting teachers to give comments and things like that in uh, in Google Docs. Uh, part of it is they still are very attached to having the paper that they can they can physically mark up. Uh, so that's been been an effort of of a lot of different. Um, trainings and suggestions. Uh, one thing that had a level of success, uh, as Jen mentioned, was Kaizena. We had uh, a few teachers who really jumped onto that and were using that pretty heavily to give feedback. We had some of the teachers at the middle school who used um, Doctopus and Gubrick, and Gubrick uh, has the ability to add voice comments in, uh, which were really nice because there were MP3 files that just played natively. You didn't need to also have the Kaizena and I've said it both ways. Um, you don't need to have that extension installed, so that one was nice, but it was a little quirky because you had to ingest, if you're using Classroom, you had to take the assignment from Classroom, ingest it into a spreadsheet with Doctopus, and then that's how you could add on Gubrick. So it was quite a bit of steps, and you know, only the most daring of teachers really wanted to go that route. But yeah, our, our eighth grade teachers really, especially for their longer writing pieces, they still have those printed out because they they struggle with the the screens that they have to work on, and perhaps if they had bigger screens to assess with, it'd be different. Um, so that's that's kind of where we're at. You know, I'm always on the lookout for new things. I haven't um, investigated as much as I would have liked to this year, but I know EdTech team had Checkmark uh, that came out that was an add-on in Docs that um, I'd love to investigate more. I don't know if any of you are are familiar with that. Uh, yeah, I've used it a little bit, but I'd Thank love you. to hear more about that because I just it's not. Not been something that could get on the plate so far this year, but I'm always looking for something that can make life a little easier for them because they, they want it. They just really feel like if they can give the feedback with the paper format more efficiently with greater stamina than and on the on the screen, then it's, it's hard to make that transition with them. John, you sure. said that you've used that tool. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's a tool that um, really has been needed for a while, um, especially English teachers. You know, as you're grading, you're uh, observing common mistakes, run-on sentence, um, spelling errors, things like that. And typing those out over and over again gets very repetitive. So Checkmark is a free Chrome extension. You can get it from the Chrome Web Store. And um, what happens is um, you open up a Google Doc, you click the checkmark extension to activate it. And when you highlight a word, sentence, paragraph in the document, um, it brings up a little kind of floating transparent toolbar. And by clicking on that toolbar, it gives you access to, I don't know, a dozen, 15 um, preset comment remarks so uh like they're abbreviated so i think sp obviously you know spelling error so you highlight the spelling error you click sp and it inserts the comment with spelling error um written in it um so that's the original one um now they came out with an update now i have not uh, explored the update um but uh, you can now my understanding is add and customize your own um, comments. So if there are things that you say or a different way that you say it, phrase it, um, you can customize it. Um, and it's great. Uh, that's, that's a really helpful tool. There's a little hack that we used to use. Um, the English teacher taught me this. It was okay. It's not perfect. Um, if you go into a Google document 
and you go to the tools menu and you go to preferences, um, this is the autocorrect dictionary. And, um, you know, typically if you misspell a word over and over again, um, you can autocorrect it to something else. But what teachers would do is they would put in a uh, an abbreviation or something, something you would never type, um, like ROS. And then, you know, it says replace. And then with, you would type out a full sentence that would say like, this is a run on sentence, please revise and resubmit or something like that. So in the student's document, anytime I type the letters ROS, it would automatically autocorrect it to that correction. And um, so, I mean, that works okay. The problem is it can kind of get lost in the document because it doesn't show up as a comment. It shows up just as regular text. So checkmark kind of takes that general idea and improves upon it. But there's two different options for you for comment codes. That, uh, that, that tip that you just gave there, I, I love sharing with, with our office staff because, you know, we, our school district has a very long name. And if you can just use the abbreviations, good, yeah. because it's case sensitive, they love that they can just go WWRSD and then pop the whole, the whole name of the school pops out one. there. Um, Sam, we've had Kaizena on the show. What are your thoughts about written comments, voice comments, video comments? What, what, what do you, where are you on that field? So <clears throat> nine times out of 10, Actually, it's 99 point something out of 10. Um, comments make absolutely comments make absolutely no difference. If kids interact with them, they do it in the wrong way we've already described earlier in the show. So oftentimes, the hard work teachers do in comments ends up in the trash. The metric on this is horrible. What we've talked about a lot in the show so far are tools that make it easier to leave the comments kids won't read. So what you really have to do is find a way to support one-on-one -on -one conferencing. Kaizena does a pretty good job because you do get the voice tone in there, right? Like I could give my students some feedback in Kaizena and know that they wouldn't like give up writing forever because they could actually hear the tone of my voice and they wouldn't assume that it was in the meanest tone ever. But as a recovering teacher of English, I know that any of those things that I needed like to make a macro in order to say, I was just wasting my time annotating these documents. If you as a teacher are going in and making edits and student documents, I hope that document is important in your life and your students. Otherwise, you're just making them irritated because it's taking you so long to edit their work which is really messed up because you shouldn't be editing their work because you're not their editor. Editors get paid more. So you're suggesting that we just stop giving our kids assignments? Stop giving them written comments if they're not supported in reading them and if they're not a functional part of improving the world for that student thereafter, yes. Especially if they're connected to a grade because then you're developing a parallel uh, two, two bits of information, one which is a grade, one which is much more difficult to understand. The only one they read is the grade. They read your approval in the grade. They read their ability in the grade. They read their skill in the grade. They don't read anything in those sentences you write. It may be heartbreaking, but I have a doctorate in this crap. Sam, what's your thoughts on programs that, that help basically give you the comments? There's a Peggy over here in the chat mentioned Grammarly, which has, of course, been a hot thing in the news the other day. But you started me on Grammarly. And, and yeah. now that we've redesigned TeacherCast, oh, hey, my goodness, someone, we had some spelling mistakes. Of all the people 
that have violated my privacy, Grammarly has been the most useful to me. I like <laughs> Grammarly because it edits my work in a different way than the spell checker. It's a nice medium point in between, you know, the spell checker and some other human that I'm going to have also look at this stuff to see if it makes sense. Um, but that's about me, me and myself, right? There's nobody involved in that interaction trying to teach me something. It's just trying to make the document better. So oftentimes as teachers trying to help students write, we engage in behaviors that are designed to make the document better. So we're not actually teaching writing. Well, let's keep on that subject there for a second. This is an important one, Sam, because as a trainer of teachers and Please, I'm sure everybody out there can be shaking their heads. You go to a teacher and say, we're going to do a Google Doc training. And they immediately say, I know everything that I need to know about Google Docs. And then you throw a couple tricks at them and they turn their head and they go, oh, I didn't know that. One of those things that I showed off today or this week, of course, snow day. One of the things I showed off this week was how to change the URL. Have you guys seen the trick where you can change the URL? Jen, you've seen that, haven't you? Yeah, I must. Are you talking about the copying, Jeff? Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can you can change the URL of a document so that if you're providing it to someone, it will automatically force them to make a copy of the document. Um, it's just an easier way than just sharing and worrying about someone perhaps editing your document or not knowing how to create their own copy. And the way that you do it is. Um, when you look at the address bar at the top, um, you'll see a bunch of gobbledygook and some slashes, and you'll see the word edit kind of towards the far right of the URL for a document. And if you highlight and backspace over all of the components that are to the right and including the word edit, but just before that slash, then you can just replace the word edit with the word copy and that link can be provided to others and, and force them to make a copy. I've done this, um, you know, Giff had mentioned like that, the use of rubrics and the importance of providing the rubric in advance to the student or, you know, so that they're kind of thoughtful about how, what, what their should, they should be focused on their own writing and, and using this link, for example, is a great way to, to do what Jen spoke about to give students um, their own, um, you know, ability to kind of, provide self-feedback and, and, um, and document that and, uh, you know, outside of going through and assigning it through classroom, which is, of course, the easiest way to do it. But um, that's, that's, I think, what you were referring to, Jeff. And, and, and yeah, I, let me add, can I add a little bit, uh, a little more on there, Jeff? Go ahead. One, one of the things, I used to use that trick all the time, um, and it's super handy for the creator of the original document because, you know, people aren't messing with your original. One of the problems that I experienced is, so I, you know, I'd write a blog post and I'd share a template or something and then I'd use the trick. And so, you know, click here. Well, when the person clicks here, they're expecting to show up at a document. And the next thing you know, they see this screen that says make a copy. And they're kind of like, I don't even know what I'm making a copy of. And you can't see the document. It's just this make a copy screen. And recently, Tony Vincent um, discovered an additional trick, which is really, really helped me a ton, um, where it's the same general concept, except uh, instead of, you know, you deleting edit, you're going to replace it with um, template slash preview. 
and it functions the same way except that the person can actually see what it is that they're getting ready to use or copy whether it's a form or a uh, slide uh, presentation or a document and um, it just gives a little more transparency you know like what are you putting in my drive account without actually uh, seeing it so uh, kudos to Tony for discovering that one I wish Google would make these things a little more obvious I mean there's like so many cool things but it, you, we have to like accidentally discover these did, awesome tricks how, how <laughs> it could be like documented somewhere how, how did he find that right like that's what I want to know is how did how did that one get discovered so both uh, Tony and Eric Kurtz, uh, you know, you just have to be super observant. Um, so there is a template library in Google Drive, and I think Tony was messing around in there, and he just noticed that the end of all of the URLs of the files in the template gallery were slash template slash preview. And so he just on a whim said, let's try it. Um, Eric Kurtz discovered the same thing when he was copying um, documents. He figured out a way to force a copy with comments, um, which is pretty handy. So um, you so, write something up. You add a bunch of you know side remarks for students. You know, remember to do this. Don't forget that. And he actually told me how he does. This is insane. This is this is why these guys are uh, awesome. So he was he did this and he noticed the URL flashed. He took a screencast of the document as he copied it and then he watched it frame by frame. And in as he did that, he noticed that it went through a series of URL changes, one of which I'll give you the link to the post. This one's a little trickier. You have to edit it. It has to be copy, question mark, copy, comments equal true. And so if you add that, it'll force a copy with the comments. So, so let's do that again because I, I, I wanted to talk to, to, to Judkins about this, but this would make a great cheat sheet one day here. If I do slash copy, if I do slash edit, slash template slash preview or is it and the, the, the last one here is, is it slash pub or is it slash publish what 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 is the extension there to make it a, a it automatically website. makes the website is that i'd have to publish? look that one up i'll look it up for you jeff but there, there's a lot of deep you know and, and I'll, I'll 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 give you a plug here john recently you created a uh, amazing um what would you call it? Infographic or whatever, whatever you want to call it, handout, pamphlet on 25 ways to use Google Forms. Um, this week, I happened to be teaching about Google Forms to my teachers, and I brought up your, your handout there. And I said, look, if you want to learn how to use Forms, click here. It gives you the template. And then on the other side, it was click here to see the live form. John, I got to tell you, my teachers loved it. And, and Well, Forms is particularly problematic because... It's nearly impossible to give someone a form in a way that they can make a copy of without also giving them the ability to edit your original. I think it's it's a mess. Um, and I was so thankful that the the template trick works for forms because there's really not another good way to do it in you know if you're trying to share it with a lot of people. So let's take a look at some of the other things that are out there for Google Docs. Josh, when you're working with your teachers, do you have any uh, go-to tricks or things that you like to just kind of pull out of your hat and say, here? Uh, one of my favorite things, not in Google Docs, but in Sheets, Ooh. is the ability to set notification rules on a sheet. Uh, so that way you can get notified when the sheet is updated. Uh, so here's how we use this. Uh, we have these things called QRIs. They have to do with 
assessing a student's reading ability. Uh, typically, students who are struggling readers are the ones that get assessed in this because that forms a plan for how they're going to help the students improve their reading. And then we also have intervention plans, which I'm sure every school has, something like that. Um, so both of those systems, I created this like auto-organizing, auto-request system with Google Forms where they pick the grade, they write the student name in, and they click submit. Autocrat puts that document in a folder, makes this curriculum account the owner, and then whisks the document to the teacher to edit it. Now, Autocrat sometimes doesn't work. And I don't like to be bugged by the QRI intervention stuff anymore because I, I don't. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a great part of my job. Uh, and I also don't want teachers to have to sit and wait like, okay, this document's supposed to be coming and now it's, you know, two days later, I had hoped to get this done during my prep today and now I can't because it didn't come. Um, so with the notification rules, every single time that that form is submitted, then I get an email. I can just jump right into the spreadsheet. It's emailed, the link's emailed to me and make sure that it ran. It takes two seconds to check it. If it ran, great, close it. If it didn't, it takes me 10 more seconds to click and run Autocrat, and then there it goes. Um, so that, to me, has really helped with that whole piece, um, keeping that smooth and, and running great. Um, and, yeah, that, that, I wish that piece was on Docs. That would be so nice. I think a, a long time ago there used to be an extension that did that and then it disappeared uh but that part of sheets is great well I, and i like that right because it's a matter of how do you let people know that things have changed and in google docs many people haven't found this one but on the right side sorry left side file menu it says file drop down it says email collab is it collaborators email collaborators mm -hmm. Jen, yes. uh, giffen yeah. what does that one do it's yeah so when you when you're in any um uh, document or well, really any G Suite app, I think it's available on all of them, you can go to email collaborators under the file menu. So you file, email collaborators, and a list of all the collaborators will come up. I'm just actually pulling it up here, but I have I'm probably 46 million tabs open, so my, my computer's running slowly. Um, and it will list all of your, uh, all the collaborators on that document in with checkboxes beside them. By default, I believe they're all checked. And then you can uncheck the ones you don't want to. So if you want to send quick messages to people, um, it's a good way to email the collaborators that you want to talk to. Yep, sorry, they're all checked. You can unselect them. Um, you can change the subject, and then it just sends them to whatever their associated um, Google account is, whether it be an EDU domain account or your Gmail. The other thing that I love that we haven't got to yet is um, plus mentioning or assigning tasks in comments. And I think that's a really great thing um, to do when we're talking about communication, right, is the idea is when you create a comment, if you put a plus sign and start typing someone's name, and if, they're, if they have uh, commenting or editing privileges, it will it should populate, um, and you can mention people so that if you've highlighted something and you have a comment, they'll get notification that way as well to check something. What I especially love is that you can assign them a task. So, you know, in my role, not being a classroom teacher, being at the district level, we have a lot of team meetings, and we'll we'll say, okay, can you can you task me on that or assign that to me? And I see this working in classrooms in ways too, because it's come out since I've been in this role. But if you're working on a group project, you can say to someone, hey, can you fill in your information here? Especially if one person's working on sort of the bones of any kind of presentation, they can task people in there and then they get it tasked to them. Uh, lesser known fact is in order to find all those, if you go into your Google Drive and at the Omni box at the top, 
people don't pay attention to that little um, inverted triangle and it's the advanced search features. So people are like, I can never find anything in my drive. I love showing this trick. So you can um, search by types. You're like, okay, I know it's a slide deck. I know I own it. I know I last modified it here and it really can narrow things down. In fact, my principal said he'd pay $100 to anyone who could find a file once last year and I have yet to see the money, but I want it. Um, Anyway, I digress. At the very bottom, your last option there is follow-up and And one of the options is action items only. And if you select that, it essentially pulls up your to-do list in all of your Google Docs. Um, So anything you've been assigned to task on, it just pulls those and those alone up with a little gray circle beside the, the file name with a number. And it shows you how many things you've been assigned in that actual document. And so when it comes time to like, okay, I've been tasked with the ton, but I don't know where to find it. That's exactly where you need to go. And it's a, just a great way to keep that communication open. And again, have that paperless and, and have the ability to keep track of what, of what you're doing in a doc just through comments. I, I need to see the blog post or the video that shows that. Cause that seems pretty I, cool. I'm like, I, Jen, I had no idea that you, oh. I mean, first of all, First of all, thank you so much for like telling me something I didn't know today. Love when that happens. Makes me very excited. My heart's so happy. And um, it's funny because when you were talking about the searching, it's like it's like my I I say it all the time to people. I'm like, listen, folks, Google Google is a search company. Trust me, you'll be able to find it. Like, stop worrying about sorting everything and file folders and all this. But you know, it's our nature to want to put things in folders. But really, I keep telling people whenever I do any kind of Google Drive training, like. Google's a search company. Same thing with mail. Like you will be able to find it. Their search features are amazing. But even though I say that, Jen, I did not know because when I hit that little triangle that you speak of, I was never seeing that on my screen because there's a little scroll bar, which I never moved. Yeah. That is where that follow-up is. So I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank I'm you. I'm, I'm pretty sure, Jeff. I have blogged about it. I'm going into my blog right now. I'm going to yeah. see if I can find and, the blog. I'll throw it into the show notes. And if not, I promise you I'll have it written by the end of the weekend. And, and this is Tech Educator Podcast 176. We, we are, as we're doing this, we are throwing all these different trip t- uh, tips and tricks in here. Now, I, I want to have Sam tell a story about something that happened the other day. Sam was at a WWE event. Is that true, Sam? That, that is true. And you were you were almost <laughs> ringside, right? I was very close to ringside. They, in fact, said, do you want to sit ringside? And, and like, no, I'm busy. Right. And, and so you actually got a chance to go back to see some of the superstars, right? Yes. And, and I remember you were sitting there and you said to me, I'm sitting here with this superstar and she doesn't know how to best prepare herself for the Google Docs portion of the Google certification test. Tell us a little bit about that story and how did you rectify the information to then learn how to best prepare for the Google certification test? Well, I was talking to Nina Jax backstage Naya. and Naya, sorry. Thank you. And uh, she was, she's just honestly Ms. Jax to me, but <laughs> Um, she was really stressing out about the Google level one certification. And I said, no problem. Prepping for the Google Docs portion of the Google certification level one is easy peasy lemon squeezy. You just check out the resources that Jeff has put together or Jen or Jen or Josh or any of these people, because there's an amazing team over here. And I gave, what link did I give her? Um, uh, you gave her soashadventures.com. <laughs> <Is that> t- 
<laughs> for, for for a story that you started off pretty well there, Jeff, you just didn't have the, the delivery. I thought that I gave you enough time to come up with whatever that would be. Sam, I'll be Statler if you be Waldorf, but we got we to gotta match this stuff up here, okay? I'm Sam the Eagle. That's just... <laughs> what i do there there of course you know as as we get through the end of the school year here many teachers are looking at that exam i want to just kind of go through the horn here starting with josh josh what resources do you know of or do you provide and look we can all bow down to eric kurtz he's got everything on there but what uh what resources josh do you share with your teachers when they want to learn about the google certified test i send them right to the website I, i think that google has built a very robust system and i what i really like most about the resources they've put is that everything has an instructional lens to it like it's not just here's how to do this in docs here's how to do this in docs it's um all organized and much more uh you know teacher i guess the word is teacher friendly ways um you know save time communicating uh bring student work online understand and share student growth like those are are categories that speak teach language and make it more interesting and, and more relevant to the purpose that they're going to use it for. Um, so I suggest that. And, you know, honestly, what I tell most of my staff is that, listen, if you've been an avid Google Docs user for several years now and you use it regularly and, and you know your way around, you probably don't even have to study for this thing. Like level one, like I guarantee you could go in and take that exam and you're going to be fine. Like it's just most of it is performance. Uh, you know, there's that, like the only thing you might get tripped up on is if you're not a good test taker and you go through the multiple choice portion, um, maybe that's it. Uh, so that's where you might want to refresh yourself on some of the, like the exact uh, definitions of things. But yeah, that's, that's kind of where I start with my staff. If you're comfortable, you, you could probably just jump right in. And if you're not, Google's got a great setup there. I, I agree. I usually say that most of our teachers, you know, teach r- random teacher that you find can probably pass the test in about four to four and a half hours. If you know where things are, that's when you can get down to that under three hours and pass the test. Uh, uh, Giffen, what, what resources do you share with everybody? Um, I, I love Eric Kurtz. When I met him last year at ISTE, I literally was speechless <laughs> and when he recognized me he said oh I, and he, he quoted or he sort of referred to a, a, a tweet I'd made I literally said I just need a minute and lay down on the floor in the fetal position I'm not joking you can ask him he will tell you that story two nights later I taught him how to drink Canadian rye true story um i uh i always share his stuff i also think casey bell on shake up learning has some really great like walkthroughs um that i've used and i love stuff like that and i i sort of have the same thing that josh says like if you're if you've been using it you're probably going to be okay um for us we don't we're a G Suite domain or district, but we don't use um, Gmail. We use Outlook. So if there's tools you don't use, um, maybe review those a little bit in the, um, what's it called? Somebody help me out here. The, the education, the one that the, Google puts out on their the website. Training Center, the fundamentals. Thank you. Yeah, the, the fundamentals training. Um, I refer to that a lot. In fact, I have a teacher candidate right now from a faculty of ed, and she's doing her part one. And I said, yep, do that. My big piece of advice, though, is remember that it's being marked by an algorithm, not a person. So I took almost the full three hours to write my level one, and I did find it stressful. It was the first three-hour test or exam I'd, ever, I'd done since I'd left school 15, 20 years ago. And I, um, I said, you know, I was trying to make things look pretty because I thought it went to a panel and I thought I had to represent myself. It doesn't. If they say like insert 
a title on the slide and then insert a video, put one right on top of another because it's just being marked by a computer to like as check, yep, they did it, they did it, they did it, not it looks nice. Um, so I think that's a really big piece of advice. And I actually, I find, I found the level one test a bit harder than the level two. Level two, I was terrified because I thought um, pivot tables were going to be the end of me. And then on mine, anyway, I don't know if they're all the same. I didn't have a pivot table question, so that was good. And I still kind of don't get them, and I love sheets, but anyway. Um, yeah, so that, those would be my things. I'd go to Eric. I'd go to Casey Bell. Those are the two places I go. Jen, what about you? What, what, what can we uh, find over on Teaching Forward? I mean, I, I try to put things together that are helpful. I have um, a resources page, and um, it's so funny, Jen, listening to you talk about meeting Eric. Um, like, I have almost the same story minus the Guinness in the fetal position. But I totally went up to him, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I just wanted to say hi. I just so appreciate your resources. And you're like, oh, I know. You know, I totally really I, – I love your website. And I was like – Oh, I'm not worthy. <laughs> so it was just, I was just like, oh my gosh, she knows who I am. But he is just, what a nice guy. And I just feel like he, uh, what I love about the resources that he has is um, he really is focused on how these things are useful to teachers. So it, it's, it goes well beyond, uh, his, his stuff goes well beyond, here's how to use it and here are the basic steps. And really um, speaks to here's one way you probably didn't think to use this tool, and and it's pretty cool. And so I think that um, that can serve as really great inspiration because I think teachers think of these tools in their category and and nothing more. Like a Google Doc is for writing a document, just like Word, and it's like no, 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 it can be so much more. So um, I think that that that's why I like his resources so much is that it, it's more than just instructional and more uh, and very focused on uh, how it can be used in a unique way in the classroom, the different uh, Google apps. And uh, John, you've got a couple things there. I've, I've uh, seen you in action at your Google certification things. Talk to us a little bit about what we can find over on, uh, on your channels. Yeah, I've um, decided to pretty much focus on two things exclusively. I, I focus on Chromebooks and Google certifications. Um, you can head over to geeducator.com. It's my site and uh, has resources that you can uh, check out. Um, so one thing that I think would be very helpful, um, I agree with everyone uh, in terms of if you if you want to you know learn the content on the exam, head over to the Google Training Center. One of the things you won't find there is an overview of the actual exam interface. Like when you're taking the exam, what is it like? What does it look like? What do you expect? That the level one exam was more difficult. And I've heard that from many people. I've helped about 1,300 people get certified. And I think the reason for that is that the exam is unlike any that you've ever taken. And just adjusting to the format, the unique format of the certification is a little bit of work. So I, I put a link in the show notes to um, a blog post I wrote on what to expect from the exam interface. You know, there's a clock. You can mark questions. You can go back. You know, all that stuff. Talk about the webcam, which will kind of freak you out a little bit. Um, explain how that works. Um, the other resource that uh, listeners might find helpful is I have a, f- a free five-lesson course on uh, Google certifications, and uh, it'll sent, be sent to you via email. Again, you can go to geeducator.com, and uh, you'll see all the stuff to sign up. Pretty cool stuff. Now, Sam, does that give you some uh, some good resources next time you're speaking to uh, Miss Jax? Yes, I actually have been DMing her all of those links as we went. Excellent, excellent. I saw. I want to see the sign at the next uh, at the next Staples Center event, if you can there. It'll be laser cut. 
Now, as we wrap up the show here, uh, everybody kind of looks at this and goes, ah, oh, Google Docs, it's constantly changing. So my question to you guys is, what do you know? What's coming up next? I've seen some some interesting things coming out of the world of Google Sites, uh, where soon we can do favorite icons, soon we can do, well, we, we now have filtering on the right side. But is there anything that uh, you guys are kind of hearing coming down the pike of this is going to be new and revolution? I, I'm wondering, is there a date set yet for when Gmail is going to get redone or drawings? <laughs> I, I, I know those are all kind of in the works, right? Haven't heard anything about Gmail or um, drawing. Um, they are doing some things to the Google Drive, uh, you know, file manager dashboard itself. Um, actually, I was looking this up. It uh, should hit tomorrow oh. uh, for some of you. Um, so Google published this to administrators a couple weeks ago. Um, starting March 22nd, uh, some users, if your district is set to rapid release, um, starting tomorrow, you may receive a new notice about what uh, Google is calling the activity dashboard. Um, and this may actually solve some of the uh, things that Josh was mentioning earlier about uh, file notifications to docs and forms and other things. Um, essentially, you're going to get greater transparency to show you who has edited your files, when they've edited, set notifications. It's almost like a revision history that you can view without opening the individual file itself. Um, so there, uh, there's a link in the show notes to a blog post from Google. It shows a little screenshot. I have not seen this live. Um, I am on rapid release, so maybe tomorrow I'll get to uh, play with it. Nice. I, I'm looking forward to something. Like, it's, it's always nice to have a snow day and come back and everything is different. <laughs> keeps, keeps us employed, right? Um, let's do one round robin here. If there was one feature you'd like to have added. We haven't done this one in a while. Um, my friend from the north? Um, I'm 100% going with Josh saying that I want the notifications like we have on Google Sheets on Google Docs. I'm a big user of Doc Appender. I love showing teachers how to make a form and using Doc Appender to have a single document for each student. And they always say, okay, great. So when I add something, it'll, it'll notify the student that I've made a change. I say, oh, no, they actually have to keep jumping into it. Or letting parents know or other stakeholders in the student's life. I would just love something that can be set up, be it an add-on or be it something built in, that when we make those changes in Docs, somehow we get notified. Please, please Google if you're listening. I like that. Josh, do you have a wish list this year? Uh, you know, I I see some things that are coming down the pipeline. Um, I don't know if anybody's watched the cl Google Cloud something. They have like a roadmap that they email out. So, And I don't know if there's stuff covered in the NDA, so I don't really want to go into any of that. Uh, but I'm a little disappointed in some of the new site stuff that's not quite up to what I'm expected it to be. So I love using the announcements feature of of the of old Google Sites. It you know has that blog capability and works really well for some very specific things. And not only is it nowhere to be found on the current new Google Sites, but I haven't even seen it in the roadmap. So as it comes to like this ability to migrate, this migration tool they're eventually going to have, what are they going to do about pages like that where there is not an uh, a similar feature in the new Google sites. Did, I don't so. know if you I, I might've missed that you said this, but there was something that I had sent to, to Judkins this week um, where they actually, somebody had found the actual 
um what was migration it? tool the migration yeah, tool out. yeah i haven't used it yet but but it is it is out there and i it's i didn't not know out for everybody to, yeah i but i don't know i haven't tried it out i it was so easy to change the sites from from the old version to google sites the uh, the new version that i i didn't wait for the migration tool for those sites that i had but yeah um while while we're here jen uh things that you'd like to see um, I really would like to see page level permissions added back to Google Sites. They just really made a lot of use out of that for um, being able to have different editors on different pages and, and even access like, uh, you know, different members of our school community being able to access different aspects of an internal site. So I'd like to see that back. And I would really love to see an overhaul of Google Drawings. I think it is like a, just a total hidden gem, but it's also super clunky. And I find it doesn't really, I don't love that I can't, I have to download any file format like PNG and JPEG. And it feels really silly that I have to do that in order to then put it into something else if I wanted to have it in a, in a format of, a, of an image file, which seems really weird to me. I, 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 if, if Google drawings had layers, I think I'd just be happy about that. Uh, that's right? a good, that's so, a good ask. Something with layers. Um, John, I, I, I have two in mind here, but uh, I want to have you go first. Two, one, maybe two things that you'd like to just say, Hey, let's, let's, let's get this thing moving. Yeah, I agree with Jen. I'd love to see some improvements to Google Drawing. Um, two specific things. Uh, first of all, I would love to see touchscreen support for drawing. Um, seems like a miss that uh, you can't use any of the sketching tools with a touchscreen device. And then a second one um, is the ability to lock objects. And I'd love to see that applied not just to Google Drawing, but to Google Slides uh, as well. Um, a lot of times teachers will, you know, want to create a Venn diagram and have students add something to the Venn diagram, but not actually delete the circles or move things around. And uh, right now that's just really not a, uh, something that you can do. So that's uh, two very specific things on my wish list. Before we get to, to my wish list here, I have a, a note here. Again, we are live on Wednesday nights at 8.30 Eastern on TeacherCast.tv. Uh, Peggy here in our chat room says... Do you Google experts know of a way to get my calendar entries not to show all of the HTML in edit mode? It happens when I copy and paste from a website into a calendar event. Into the description box? Into the de maybe it's into the, into the description box. I know we're on about a 40-second delay, but Peggy, if you could be a little bit more specific there, we'd be happy to jump in and uh, answer that. Because ca calendar is great. Um, I love the new calendar. Um, I think if you've never used Google Calendar, it's very intuitive. I think if you have been using Google Calendar, they hit a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, one quick thing you can try, if she is literally copy and pasting... Um, uh, if you uh, copy, right-click in the description box, and then say paste as plain text, mm. that should strip out all of the HTML. I don't know if it the, it's the actual HTML code or if it's actually showing up in rich text, um, but either way, um, paste as plain text should get rid of all of that. Nice. And she says thank you over there in the chat. I, I've always said to teachers, whether they like me saying it or not, Google is wonderful until it needs to be. And I'm saying these two because maybe, John, you'll say, nope, it, that's not true. This is over here. But the first thing is I love Google Keep, right? We all love Google Keep. 
but it seems to be the only app where when you do insert image, it pulls from your desktop hard drive and does not give you the screen to insert an image from your Google Drive, Google Photos, Google whatever. Anybody Probably. Else? that's That was an issue Google had for a long time, just um, very um, – Every every service seemed to have a different interface for inserting images. They seem to have cleaned that up. I guess um, Google Keep and Google Drawing are kind of those two tools that seem to be at the bottom of the food chain in terms mm-hmm. of development work and, uh, and attention from the dev team. And I'll give you my last one here, and I hope I'm wrong about this. Google Forms, you can add a video from YouTube, but I don't think you can add a video from your Google Drive. I believe that is correct. Yep, just uh, YouTube only at this time. It's so another it's, one of those things. It you know they roll it out to one thing, but for some reason it doesn't necessarily transfer to the other teams. It it because you know now that you can do Google Drive video in slides. Yep. I'm you know I used to tell teachers to go make a YouTube account. I do a whole PD session on YouTube where we make playlists and stuff and now it's like well they want to make a quick little tutorial video and make an activity out of it can't do it without youtube or the other way i get around that is you put the video on a site and then you make the form next to it guys this has been a great episode i think i think it's safe to say we all learned something out of this year um did we hit everything in our in our in our show notes here of course this is tech educator podcast episode 176 let's go around please promote your blog and your podcast. Jennifer, how are you doing? Uh, great. So my, uh, I do not have a podcast, but uh, I am at teachingforward.net and on Twitter at teachingforward. Excellent. Uh, Giffen. Um, I can be found on Twitter at virtualgif with two Fs. Uh, you can go to my uh, blog, virtualgif.com. And coming soon to the airwaves, Shooks and GIF with Kim Polishuk, our, our 20-minute little podcast. Joshua. I'm going to give a plug for Stories in EDU. Uh, you can head to storiesinedu.com to learn a little more about the podcast and, and check out where you can hear that. We've had 20 episodes, I think, so far. Uh, and also on that website, you can uh, take a peek at a contest or if you'd like to be part of a published book called Stories in EDU, there's a little contest to uh, get a little uh, story included in that book. So if you're interested in, in sharing one of probably the many great stories you have from the classroom, uh, that's hanging out at storiesinedu.com. Mr. Sowash. Yeah, uh, you can check me out at geeducator.com, so my Google certification site, um, or at chromebook.com, that's chrmbook.com. That's also where you'll find my podcast, Chromebook Classroom Podcast, uh, again, chrmbook.com. It was around this time six years ago that we got together four educators and decided to create a podcast called The Tech Educator Show. Just wrapping today's episode up, I got to say how awesome it is that many of our co-hosts on here have started their own podcasts. Maybe you're out there going, I want to create my own website. I want to create my own podcast. There's several great ways to do that. The one way I want to urge you guys to do it is to check out our channel educational podcasting today you can go to educationalpodcasting.today we've got tips tricks videos tutorials everything on how to create your own show how to create your own website what tools to need what equipment to need everything is over there and of course you can check out our fa- our, our private facebook page at educationalpodcast.today 
tips. Uh, we got about 150 educators in the last month that have signed up for that. It is a rockin' good time. Educationalpodcasting.tips is our Facebook page. Thank you guys so much for spending time with us tonight. This is the Tech Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury. We are here live every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Until next time, keep up the great work in your classroom and continue sharing your passions with your students.